Big Fluff. What would you rather be, a lion or a panda? I don't have time for this. Okay. Ted? Gotta go panda. Are you mad? Pandas are fat and lazy and have piss-stained fur. Lions are powerful and majestic and rule the jungle. Try telling that to an elephant. Ooh, could I be an elephant? Mm-mm, lion or panda? Panda. Lion! What's black and white and red all over? I don't know what. A panda that gets anywhere near a fucking lion. The answer is lion. All right. That Rebecca is an intimidating, very tall woman. I mean, the minute she locked eyes with me, I, like, started sweating. Oh, no. You know, she got some pencil, all right, but you just got to hop over Hi, babe. Mm -hmm. Here. Keys. Hey, Jamie, what would you rather be, a lion or a panda? Coach, I'm me. Mm -hmm. Why would I want to be anything else? I'm not sure you realize how psychologically healthy that actually is. <laughs> This is Laura Hardin. I play Jan, the Big Knockers on uh, The Office. And you are listening to Hobo Radio. Yeah! And now, here's Joel and Lars. And Lars. Hello again. I'm Joel Murphy. This is Hobo Radio. And with me, Lars Periwinkle. How are you? I'm all right. How you doing, Money? I, you know, I'm living that proverbial dream. That's me. Right on. <laughs> what makes the dream proverbial? Because I'm not actually living a dream at all. So. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> it's actually everything's terrible. I, I'm lying to myself. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't go to Costco with a picture of a dead relative. I'm not living the dream. <laughs> oh, man. You know what has been nice, though? I, I will say this to you as if I didn't say it to you five seconds before we started the show and you're hearing it for the first time. I watched that show mm. Ted Lasso. and What? I know, right? Here's the thing. I am needlessly defiant. And when people tell me to watch something, I often don't watch it for no reason. Uh, as evidenced by Letterkenny, yes, which yes. I believe you've told me to watch, Andy's told me to watch, other people have told me to watch, and I will never watch. I'll watch it in hell. Um, but a well, lot of people are Can I just say that you and people like you are terrible? Yeah, that's, that's fine. It's not going to make me watch it either way. So I will. I added that British statistician from Leeds, you know, apartment, whatever. Show. Whatever. It's, what is it? Stat Leeds flat? It's a, it's in the queue. Nope. What is it? It's That's not correct. I'm not, I'm not telling you again. <laughs> it's I'm not in my queue. It. it is in my queue, so I can watch it there. It, it's it's queued up to HBO Max whenever I watch it. And I, <laughs> I will say, too, I finished Pushing Daisies, so I'm catching up from shows from 2009. So that's exciting. That show's great, by the way. They shouldn't have canceled it. So that's my hot take for a 12-year-old TV show. <laughs> <laughs> 
just a late bit of nuclear vitriol right there. Yeah. Kristen Chenoweth is she's got a big future ahead of her based on this 2009 <laughs> television show I would just watch. And I'm going to I'm going to throw it out there. The main guy, the pie maker, I think he'd be good in a Marvel movie. I just see it. Maybe maybe it's more like a villain, but I could see it. I definitely this is think all either good Mar- stuff. Yeah, either Marvel movie or some sort of dickish 80s computer programmer. I really think one of those two things would be a good next move for him. Okay, let's all write this down, I suppose. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, but no, so Ted Lasso, which is slightly more current, though not all that current, but what is time? Um, So it was like, it was becoming one of those shows that everybody was like, this show is is just so wonderful and it's nice and it's like a hug. And I I don't know, for reasons that I should explore, I started to be like, Psh, can't be that good. <laughs> and so, uh, I, like, I just was done. But then I finally, I broke down and I started playing it. And do you want some breaking news? Yo. This show's goddamn delightful. <laughs> like, it really... <laughs> It's really great, but I'll say this in case you're like me, because maybe this will help, is like, I kind of, like, everyone was like, you know, Ted Lasso, he's this, so if you don't know, it's the pitch, this is the uh, Jason Sudeikis uh, Apple TV show where he is an American football coach that's hired to coach a British uh, soccer team, and... Like everyone was always talking about how positive Ted Lasso is, and he's like super upbeat, and he he is, and I and I really like that about the show, and it's good. I I think what nobody said to me that I found to be really interesting about the show is that the show is not necessarily syrupy and upbeat. That in fact he is a very positive man in a world that is not always kind to him, and I found that way more interesting than what I thought it was going to be. You know, like where I just thought it was going to be like. I don't know, like a kid's show or something like just what if everyone's happy all the time? And then I was like, you know, I can't relate to that. But then it's like him choosing to be positive in a world that's like shitting on him all the time is actually really great. And I think really nice for everybody. So if you were like me and you like didn't want to watch it because you're like, I don't know, that doesn't sound like I will relate to that. It actually I found it very moving to watch him be positive, even though bad things kept happening. That's great. Yeah, I from what I heard, <clears throat> I hadn't been avoiding it. I just have no way to watch it. It did sound like uh I don't like happy people porn. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought, it's right? Just like yeah. Like people are really positive the whole show and also it ends like a like an episode like like entourage every time. Oh, everything worked out. We put in a conflict because yeah, we actually no, needed to write a story, but everything works out. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like, that's kind of what I thought, too. Entourage is the exact right word. Like, that was my fear because I did not like that show. I do not like shows that feel way too easy on resolutions. And yeah, like, yeah, Yeah. you nailed it. You nailed exactly all my fears about the show, that it was going to be happiness porn. But no, what I like is like, yeah, he so he comes to town uh, to coach his team. And it turns out he was hired. I mean, I'm not giving anything away because it's also the plot of a 1980s movie. And you find this out within five minutes of it starting. But it's basically Major League. Like the the woman who owns the team hires him because she thinks he's going to destroy the team. Like that she she's Major Leaguing. Uh, I see. Her franchise and hoping that they get relegated. And then it turns out that he's so 
positive that he, you know, everybody loves this dude. And he, he, he turned out to be the right choice to coach the team. Yeah. So he's like, he's like, if, if the first major league movie, the coach they chose was Pedro Serrano from the second major league movie. Yeah. That tracks. Okay, cool. But then it's also I I think the the major league thing is applicable too cuz like there are still guys who are dicks on the team and and she's still trying to sabotage them and also uh he's his marriage is falling apart. So like there's all this stuff that happens that's way more interesting than what I expected to happen, which is just like he's a he eats cookies and he hugs everybody. Yeah. Although man, I could use a show like that now. It's well that it exists a, a little bit. That show exists. It's called Sesame Street. <laughs> yes. Actually, no, you know what? That show exists and if you have Disney Plus, that show is called Earth to Ned. That oh. that show is an utter absolute delight. Just it's it's quirky and there's so many familiar faces and it's silly and I, I find it to be laugh out loud funny. So that's that's my show. That, that show's a little hug for me that I enjoy on my lunch breaks at work. <laughs> I will say I found Pushing Daisies to be really positive too, but I think I need like a little bit of, I need that, you know, the speech from the Matrix. Like I can't live in a perfect world because I won't accept it. But like if you give me like just right. a little bit of sadness, then it works. Because Pushing Daisies, it was a real... Did you ever watch that show? By the way, I never watched the show before. Uh, I mean, I did. I, I I watched it 12 years ago. Okay. Well, it's yeah. it holds up. I'm happy to say. Right on. <laughs> uh, also, I probably appreciated it more now because I recognized all the comedians that are in it. That, like... Yeah. Also... Oh, man. Wait. That was the one... That was... It make, let me make sure I'm talking about pushing daisies. It had that pie maker in it who would make a really good dick in a J.R.R. Tolkien movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, he was basically, he could touch dead people and they'd come back to life. But if they lived longer for a, than a minute, someone else had to die. And uh, because it was a 2009 network television show, it also was a sort of police procedural <laughs> where they... We're using that power to try to solve crimes because I think they had to, but it, it ended up being really interesting yeah. and it was like a lot of fun with, uh, you know, just messing up the world, you know, like just the, mm. the series of chaotic, like chain event. It was very, if you give a mouse a cookie, like once he started bringing people back to life, it led to lots and lots of complications. Anyway, there's two seasons of that. It's on HBO Max. It's from 12 years ago. They should bring it back. It's a good show. Uh, but you know what we should talk about because that reminds me of it. And because I've been watching old TV, Paul F. Tompkins works, man. Like that guy, I think he's been in every, every TV show. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he shows up, he will show up. The one that gets me because, uh, Molly, her her favorite like rewatch show, as I think yeah, we've definitely talked about before on the show, is Frasier. And Paul F. Tompkins is in a later season episode of Frasier, and it throws me off every time. I never remember that he's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't be don't be surprised. I think you know, aside from the stand up, the first thing I <clears throat> I ever saw him in acting wise was Mr. Show. And, you know, that's the late 90s. And since then, yeah, he pops up in every goddamn thing. So basically from like from 97 forward, I'm not surprised anymore. You just can't be. There he is. There's Paula Tompkins. But yeah, he played a um, <laughs> a magician who ate weird things in uh, Pushing Daisies. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I do not remember that. No, yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, it and it's a, it's an episode where it's him and it's Fred Willard, and it's um, what's her name from the state? Carrie, what is her name? Carrie Kenny Silver. Yeah, she. They're all in the same. They're all magicians in that episode. That's fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, Tompkins. Like it. I also. I think I'm. I think it's jarring because he should always have a mustache and be wearing a suit. In my mind. And when he's not in old TV, it throws me off. It does, uh, yeah. I um, shoot, I don't remember. I don't remember how that came up in conversation the other day. I think I was talking about that one Doug Benson movie, Super High Me, where he he conducts that really that that really interesting experiment where he stops smoking weed temporarily. I, I have to admit, I haven't it, seen Super High Me. Yeah. Well, it it turns out, yeah, he, he, Doug Benson smokes weed all the time. And then when he stopped smoking weed, the big reveal was he he didn't like it that he wasn't high. <laughs> so um, he was in that. But yeah, I think in that you saw Paula Tompkins like um, uh, with no facial hair and wearing a T-shirt. And yes, it is. It is jarring to the point where you know I'm sorry, he's a listener so i'm just gonna yeah. say i'm i'm sorry paul it's off-putting it's off-putting to see you in a t-shirt yeah and in case you're wondering because lars just said that he's a, a listener why he hasn't been on the show when he does a lot of podcast appearances he asks and we're like we don't want to do that we know that you're a fan and you know it's a, di- it's a different experience like if you're on the show you know you don't get to enjoy it the same way and so he re- he really respects that, but like every few months would be like, what do you, what do you say, guys? I could really use this, and we're like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, well, he told he told me he appreciated it because he said, well, that will be one episode of the show that I won't I won't be a surprise to me. Yeah, and so I probably won't listen to it, and that's unacceptable to me because he's a completist, so he's listened to every episode. Yeah, and he's like, he needs it to play like while he's doing things, and it would throw off his whole weekly routine. And so I get that. I do find that people start podcasts and within within their first year of having a show, he shows up. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you need his stamp of approval, not stamp of approval, but like he needs to have been on your show in order for you to be a real podcast. And maybe that's why we're struggling. <laughs> I did. I saw that he did a <laughs> Rush Limbaugh podcast. He did what? Yeah, it was someone was doing like a some sort of look at Rush Limbaugh's life. I'm sure it was comedic, but like I saw him advertising uh-huh. that, and yeah, so I don't I don't know what we're doing wrong. We got to work on. <laughs> well, I know what I'm doing right, and that's not listening to a Rush Limbaugh podcast. Yeah. Also, just Paul, since you are listening, bring back that spontaneous nation. That was that was good. That was good. No, you know what? If we're putting out requests. Um, the Dead Authors podcast. Oh, God. And thank you, you know what? If I only had to get one, if it was only going to be yeah. one Dead Authors, but if we could have both, Spontaneous Nation, which I guess I apparently I'm just spending the show talking about TV I've been watching because what else is there to do? But you know what? Other show uh-huh. I did finally start watching. Uh, I'm, I'm finally checking out the, uh, the more extended <laughs> streaming services, which, by the way, you asked this before, and I'll clarify for the listeners. I have Apple TV because I was given it for free because I bought a new laptop within the past year. Uh, I started watching Peacock because Amber Ruffin's show is fantastic, and uh, that's Mm. great. But on Peacock is AP Bio, and Mm. Molly and I started watching that, and that is also really good. If you are listening to this, two people that I have interviewed for Hobo Trash Can are Glenn Howerton and Patton Oswalt, so... 
throwing that out there. But that show is delightful, and I thought about it because uh, Jean Villapique is one of the teachers on there, and I first discovered her on Spontaneous Nation. Okay. Oh, yeah. That, you discovered her to yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, were, you didn't discover her. No, no, no. I mean, like, I learned who she was. Right. No, I yeah, got you. I, I did got nothing you. for her career. I just, like, listened to her, and I was like, she's funny. In the same way that I was like, Mark Evan Jackson is funny. And then a year or two uh, later, he was doing uh, uh, The Good Place, and he's... Oh, hey. okay. I think you were also kind of late to that Mark Evan Jackson game. I was probably definitely... Where, where, where are you on this? What was... I think it was like pre, because again, it was from podcasts, but it was pre Parks and Rec appearance when I started piecing oh, together okay. who he was. Like oh, before okay. he fair showed enough, up to enough. to buy Tommy's closet, I had heard him on podcasts. So, right, right. It's not Jay Z. Yeah. Yes. AP AP Bio is also it's also really good, and I was I was a bit late to that party as well because I don't. Um, um, I don't really seek out uh, network comedies too much. Yeah. Um, these days, so especially NBC, they're just not doing not doing the thing. You know what I, I find fascinating watching this show, and the, because it's trust me, this is not a knock, but like watching it, I, it definitely reminded me a little bit of Community, and probably a little bit of specifically later Community when Jeff became a teacher and Andy mm-hmm. was in his class. But the thing that I'll give them credit is, one, it seems that someone at NBC really loves to buy uh, comedies about schools where the people don't give a shit. That definitely seems to be someone's <laughs> MO. But what I love, what I give AP Bio credit for, what probably took me a while to watch it, and then I quickly discovered is like that show gets so weird and so funny so fast. Like it definitely is using a very well worn premise of like guy who doesn't want to be a teacher has to teach high school. That's been done a lot, but then it gets real weird we- real fast, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that is good stuff. I also appreciate the hell out of Paul Appel. I guess the show is called We Name People That We Like. Yeah, Paul Appel, yes. Uh I dearly love her. Get in the car, Pete. Uh she's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and she's really great on this show. Like I think it's a good showcase for her in general. Um yeah. Also, yeah, well, this is just improvisers that we like who get to work in TV. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Paula Paul Appel, she <laughs> she she said and i i don't know who wrote this line but it was delivered immaculately by paul appel on um parks and rec when she said um this is america and isn't it then i don't think i have to ask, answer stupid questions on my property <laughs> uh no like i said i I laugh every time I watch the finale of 30 Rock when Pete has been trying to fake his own death and she just tracks mm-hmm. him down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, she's great. That show's good. That's all the TV that I've been watching. And I don't know what I'm going to do because eventually I'm gonna Molly and I will get through the two seasons that are free and I don't see us paying for Peacock. So. Yeah, she's saying we're almost there. So apparently there's new seasons that are exclusive and I don't see that happening. Also, can they stop? Yes. Can they stop with there's because now there's Paramount Plus. Like, wasn't the goal of streaming services to be better than cable (laughs) to consolidate? Well, I think um, I think you they the week from the chef definitely gets separated in all this. 
And so everyone has tried, but not all have succeeded. And I think from what I understand, from whatever metric they measure these by, it looks like rewatches of The Office are the only thing keeping Peacock afloat because it's a weird, it's a weird service where you have to like, you buy into it, but then you have to buy extra stuff to watch extra things or whatever. Um, so yeah, that the, if they're really good, they, they stick around. And if not, then you just, you know, they give all their shit back to whoever wants to pay them to put it on their streaming service. So that'll happen eventually with Peacock, I would imagine. Yeah. It's fun to get to learn which shows aired on networks that they owned versus which shows were not theirs, yeah. uh, which is why like Peacock has the office, but then doesn't have other stuff. But no, the other thing I will say while we're talking about it is Peacock before you go out of business, please can you create an app for my smart TV so that I don't have to watch you through my Xbox? Uh, because you're the only streaming service that I have to do that for, and I don't understand why. Paramount Plus already has an app for my smart TV, but not Peacock. Well, your but your Xbox hooks up to your TV. Yeah, but it's like a whole extra thing. You have to like turn the Xbox on and go to the app versus and then use an Xbox controller to open the app. This is the most bullshit 21st century complaint I've ever heard in my goddamn life. I'm just life. saying nobody in the history of my family has ever had it more difficult than this in their lifetime. <laughs> my ancestors I, never I had to have a TV remote and an Xbox remote and have all other sitcoms that they want to watch on different networks and they don't remember which one is which network. It's all I'm saying. It's very hard. I just see. I just I'm looking into looking into the past. 18th century Ireland. Your ancestors are burning their own feces to stay warm so they don't freeze to death overnight on their empty stomachs. And here you are. 200 years later. That's, you went back too far, by the way. I mean, you only have to go back to my grandfather who fought in Vietnam and, you know, like whose job in the Air Force was to disarm explosives. Oh, I see. I see. Understood. That it. You know what? That sucks. I thought you were. I thought you were. But I thought you were going with. No. No, my grandfather, who was in Ireland burning shit to stay alive during the cold night. That was my other grandfather. <laughs> that was the Murphy one. And, he was... That's what he, he was doing. Oh, okay. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, my mom's side, he, he was... Yeah. My mom's side, they had the good sense to leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very early on. Yes. Oh, man. Uh, by the way, did you hear about... Since we're just talking about streaming services, did you hear that... There was some kind of glitch where people were able to watch part of uh, the Snyder Cut yeah. while watching Tom and Jerry. I did see that. And, um, you, you know, this is so, it's so foreboding because um, I don't know about you, but I am not really looking forward to watching this. But I'm going to watch it. I'm very curious, but not really looking forward to it. And this... This news only only reemphasized why the they were like it was um it was that glitch was only letting people watch it for a few hours um so even if even if someone was able to watch it they could only watch part of yeah, it yeah it like that's how long the movie is that it, they were able to Jesus fix it Christ. well before <laughs> they could get through the whole thing. 
They they had to write a new program <laughs> from scratch, but they still <laughs> from from scratch. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I will say this. So I very much, you know, obviously we talked about it on the show before. Um, I I haven't really liked this, and I I don't really like the the fan campaign to the, around this has been kind of weird. Like, it, and it opens a a strange. Uh, precedent going forward for you know i think i think i just find myself a bit alarmed you know after we got rise of skywalker which very much felt like a movie that was appeasing a very small group of loud fans that then the snyder cut kind of often feels more like more evidence of just capitulating to the loudest of fans which is going to alienate everybody else but i i'll say this um so we were on Silver Linings playback in you know in preparation for this movie to come out. We've been watching Snyder movies, and I've been doing more research, you know, as well in preparation. And I I think it actually there was this Vanity Fair article that profiled Zack Snyder, and I have to say it made me like him more. <laughs> you know that mm-hmm. like it, it seems one by all accounts that he's actually a good dude that people yeah. really like him. Yeah. And which, I mean, then contrast that with the fact that people do not like Joss Whedon. So that is also <laughs> uh, in there. But um, no, like because so that was the whole thing. And maybe this would be helpful to people uh, is that it was never really clear what happened. Like we never got this because we were lied to as the audience where we were told that, you know, uh I mean, we were given like a half truth where we were basically told that Snyder was stepping away from the movie because of uh, stuff going on with his family and that the movie was going to be finished by Joss Whedon, uh, who was handpicked by Zack Snyder to finish his movie. And for the first time, and we kind of, I'm almost positive if we were to go back and listen to our show that you and I never really quite believed that. Uh, right. But that was at least... Because it sounded like one of those bullshit fixes. Like, yeah. when um, when um, Man of Steel was in production, um, they said, well, that we they brought in Christopher Nolan to make some changes that the studio wanted. And you're just... You just pick the... You just pick the hot shit of the moment who's making, who has made a successful comic book movie or two. Oh, come over here and do this movie real quick. When it's, that's, that's not why their movie succeeded because they were there. Like they had control and were telling the story that they were telling. It isn't just get Nolan in here to make this gritty. How'd that work out for Man of Steel? Are we all still talking about how great that fucking movie is? Yeah. (laughs) Right. And I, I think that's where, but the, I think that's why I'm sympathetic towards him in that, I don't know, to me, it feels like you hire Guy Fieri to make you dinner. <laughs> and then uh-huh. when he gives you dinner, it's not like, you're like, why isn't this a, you know, like a four star Michelin restaurant feast? And you're like, well, cause you, hi- like you hired Zack Snyder to make a Zack Snyder movie. And then you were mad that he made a Zack Snyder movie. Like... He took you to Flavortown. That's what he promised. <laughs> like, I, you know what? I, he's such a, he's such an easy target. But I bet that dinner would be excellent. No, that's. I bet it would be fucking delicious. I'm not like I'm not actually attacking. I'm saying Guy Fieri. Right. No, I see what you yeah. mean. I see. It. Like, remember? I remember it was a few years ago. Um, 
2017, I want to say, and they got there was that controversy around um, Michelle Wolf set at the the press dinner in DC when it's like you you saw her sets before yeah. and then she showed up, did her style of comedy, and you have a fucking problem with it when that's who you hired. Yeah, I mean, this is all classic bad relationship. I'm gonna change them mentality. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I think it it's classic. This person is popular, so I'm gonna hire him without having any idea why the person is popular. Right. But th- that's my thing is like, I, I think Zack Snyder did what you hired him to do. I wouldn't have hired him. Totally. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that, but that was kind of the thing. So reading this article, uh, just to finish this up is like, so he made man of steel. Like you said, they brought in, uh, Nolan on man of steel. Cause they already were getting nervous then. But then uh-huh. they they made Batman versus Superman. Batman versus Superman was not critically well received. It didn't make as much money as they were hoping that it was, that it would. And you know, we all dunked on a lot of, it, a lot of that Martha stuff. You know, we uh, we all had our fun with. But then, so he was already working on Justice League. But they what they did is they allowed him to continue making Justice League. But then now they had no confidence in him, so he was in charge. But they didn't trust him. And so then what they started doing is had Jeff Johns and there was another guy basically first made him rewrite the script while he was shooting and they cut out a bunch of stuff. And then on top of that, they started showing up to the set while he was filming and vetoing things and like, you know, always great environment for a film where they were there over his shoulder micromanaging how he was directing everything and trying to get him to change the tone and like just completely second guessing everything he was doing. And then eventually behind his back, uh, Jeff Johns who had hired uh, uh, Joss Whedon to write a Batgirl movie started getting him to rewrite the script as well. And the funny thing is Snyder even says in the, in the piece where he's like, at that point I still was like, cool. That that could be really helpful. Like you guys want it to have this lighter tone. You want it to be funnier. He could be really good at that. <laughs> like, fine. I, I welcome the help. And then eventually they just started taking more and more control away from him and giving more and more control uh, to Joss Whedon. And then the thing that really did happen that, that is true is that his daughter uh, committed suicide. And at that point, he was like everything just like I just he could see it slipping away anyway. And he was like, I was either at a point where I was going to have a huge fight with them and I was going to like just go to war with the studio or I could just do the best thing for me and my family and just leave. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. He it's it really sucks. They put him in that position because you he's you you paid the guy to do what he does and he's trying to do with it. How can you imagine how infuriating it would be from any artistic standpoint, someone coming over your shoulder and saying, change the tone. Yeah. The tone? <laughs> you want me to change the tone? <laughs> yeah. Of what? Yeah. Well, it's, Jesus. Al- it's also, again, to your point too, it's not like we got a good Justice League. <laughs> like, it's not like they were right. Yeah. We just got a really weird Justice League that was shot like a Zack Snyder movie but with the one-liners of a Joss Whedon movie, and it didn't make any sense. No, no. But so the the other thing that I learned, though, too, from reading all this stuff was that, so when he left, they were actually pretty much done 
like he shot almost everything that he wanted to shoot. And he was actually working on an assembly cut, which is just where you take everything that you shot and you just lay it out. And this is always the dumbest part when people make movies because nobody uh, who writes entertainment articles ever understands this. And then this is why it's uh-huh. the part of the process where you get that article that's like the first cut of Star Wars is six hours long. And it's like because they haven't. Oh, right. It's not a it's not right, a cut right, of right. like they literally just take every they have to put it all in order (laughs) like it's just sequential to watch what you have and then they start trimming but he had that and it didn't have any music and it didn't have any special effects but it was just the movie he shot and and then he said when he quit that was all on a laptop and he was like i figured i'd i have this maybe if someone comes over to my house for dinner or for like a party you can pop it in if they wanted to see like he kind of assumed like that's that's what will be made of this. And then mm-hmm. when all this campaign stuff happened, what was interesting is he he said that at some point Warner Brothers came to him and were, tried to get him to just they were like, why don't you hand over that assembly cut that you have and we'll just release it. You know, so the fans can see what you were going to try to do. And he like and again, this is also the stuff that kind of makes me like him. Where He was like, no, <laughs> like, that's a terrible idea. You're just trying to do that, that is. because the fans want my cut. But then you can release it and it'll be bad. <laughs> like it won't have any music or special effects and it'll be a rough cut that I haven't actually finished. So he he kind of gave them an ultimatum where he was like, you can bring me back to finish it or you can like will not do anything, but, but I'm not going to like hand over the, like, I'm not going to sign off on you just showing an unfinished rough cut of the movie. That would, that would you know, no, that's basically a six hour blooper reel. Yes. And so then at some point they worked it out. He basically took no additional money. Like he wasn't paid as a director to come back. All right. the money that they allotted all went into finishing the movie. Um, Mark Wahlberg doesn't know that, yeah, does he? No, because he's gonna get a phone call. <laughs> yeah, are you not getting? Are you not getting paid, bro? They pay, they're paying you, bro. Yeah, they're paying you, bro. You know you gotta get your money, bro. Well, that's what they had to get Michelle Williams to come in and finish a lot of the scenes. Oh, <laughs> uh, is that what it was? <laughs> she would work for scale. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, and I. That's the thing. The article didn't get into. I. I'd be very curious. Um you know, about the actors, like what the, those conversations with them were like, cause it probably was like the Wahlberg thing where they had to work out something with them uh, to get them to finish it. But it also seems like they like Zack Snyder. So it seems like people were yeah. willing specifically. Yeah. And, oh man, I don't have the dude's name in front of me and I feel bad, but the guy who plays cyborg, who was horribly mistreated by Joss Whedon, um, yeah. seems to really like Zack Snyder particularly. And he seems very excited to get to actually make the movie. That's cool, man. Yeah. Let's, let's see the thing. Maybe we just like, you know, I'll, I'll make this comparison because I think it is fair. Like, you know, um, Matisse is not for everyone. Matisse had a very specific style of paintings. Paintings were small. They had lots of vibrant colors. Um, uh, that's not for everybody. And so Matisse is looked at, at like a like a French master. Um, but some people look at it and say like, well, that looks like just a goofy drawing a kid would do and then color it in with like every fucking crown from the Crayola set. Um, so, you know, Zack Snyder has never really, I don't, he's never done it for me, so to speak, his style, but I have liked several of his movies. 
I don't know if I'm going to like this thing. It's Joel. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's several hours oh, long, man. It's I, I'm really trying. So all of that, now that I said all of this stuff about him, I'm really trying to go in with an open mind. I, I don't expect to enjoy it. Like I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy for him. I'm happy for his fans that he's getting the chance to, I mean, you hired him to make a movie. Why not? I will also point out that like, it should be made clear what we are getting is not the movie we would have gotten because that's the other thing too is like he was clear about that once he got brought back then they shot additional footage that he wrote new stuff he added the joker like there's yeah. a lot of stuff that wasn't ever going to be in the movie that's just there now yeah look i'm not like th- yeah i of course this isn't a knock on Zack snyder because if you remember <laughs> this was very early on in our podcast and it's been it's been a uh, a running thing throughout the years that my opinion should not be trusted because not only did I like the Watchmen movie, I like the Watchmen soundtrack. So I am I am team Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder's my biggest problem with Zack Snyder for several years now is that Superman is all, is all his goddamn movies. Yeah, well, and he does not understand Superman. At all. Or does he understand Superman perfectly? And that's why these movies suck. Well, I mean, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I will say this. I'm going to tie it all together. How about this? I'm going to put it. You didn't think that that stuff before was going to tie into now. Oh, boy. I'd hire Sudeikis to write a Superman. What the fuck? Be- because Ted Lasso, what is he? He's an optimist in a bad world. Do that with Superman. Write, write a Ted Lasso Superman. And also, Ted Lasso has a mustache, so he already looks like Superman from... Oh, my God. No, but I'm saying, like, for real, Superman's never been my jam, but, like, people who like him, it's the optimism. It's the it's the fact that he is this beacon of hope. And I, I think Sudeikis did the best at doing that in anything I've watched in a while. Like, so, you know, replace the Premier Soccer League with Lex Luthor and, I don't know robots or something and i don't know i'd watch it why not what what, they don't have anything better what else do they have going on i don't think that superman is an optimist i think superman as a character gives the world a false sense of optimism and i think that's why lex luthor thrives in that world because everyone's going around being optimistic (laughs) i will say man like rewatching batman versus superman uh, as I just did, like, it is very clear to me that Snyder can't seem to come up with an argument for Superman. Like, you watch that movie and, you know, Batman's there like, if there's even a 1% chance that this guy might be dangerous, I got to take him down. And Lex Luthor's like, this this is bad that he's here. This guy's a menace. And even uh, Holly Hunter's like, you know, we got to like everybody in the world is like, fuck this guy. We got to take him down. They're right based on Man of Steel. And then, like, Superman, when he confronts Batman, is just, stop. <laughs> and yeah. It's like, you you don't even have, like, a any kind of argument. Also, in the world of this movie, he's been doing this for 20 years. Like, so yeah. you just showed up super late to, you know, Batman's been out there. He's already been broken by the world. He's, he's you know, the the saddest of Batman and you're going to come along now with God powers that you could have been using this whole time while you were swimming uh, with whales or whatever the fuck you were doing. <laughs> and you just show up and you're like, uh, I care now. So go away. 
Go away for what? If there's if there was ever an optimist, it's Batman. Ba- Batman, like Bruce Wayne thinks, if I do enough work, this city will be better. Yeah. It just will. I need to, I am the scalpel and I will be cutting out all the infected part of this city. I'm going to, and I don't kill anyone. I'm going to send them to a place so that this city can get better. And if these people are able to get back out into this city, back out of prison and into public, they'll see the error of their ways because this city will be better if I just keep working. And may, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's a fool for that, but he is optimistic. Superman doesn't have to be anything. He doesn't have to have a personal philosophy because he is probably immortal and has all the powers. That's still the wildest swing that Snyder takes is just to have uh, Pa Kent just be like, fuck him, Clark. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> Let him die. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, it weirds me out every time, like his, because, I mean, he, he got his start in Watchmen. He writes Superman like he's Dr. Manhattan. Like, that seems to be how he views the character. I, I guess, I mean, yes, I mean, part of, part of his character is very much like Dr. Manhattan, um, his, his Dr. Manhattan, I guess. Um, but the other part is he also, you know, unlike Dr. Manhattan, Clark Kent has to be likable to the audience. And so it's like if, if Dr. Manhattan had his secret identity. You know, which like that doesn't fucking work. You can't be Dr. Manhattan and then live as a normal person. That would be an idiotic, idiotic character outline. But they did it, you know, in the late 30s. And he has been fucking awesome, I guess, ever since. I've never seen it. Well, that's I mean, no, the the real problem with Superman is that he was built before we had this figured out. Like he's the original superhero. So therefore... You know, he he's just everything. He has every power. He his secret identity is real flimsy. They didn't even bother to put a mask on him because they they hadn't come up with any of the stuff yet. So like Superman suffers from the fact that he was he he was made too early. He was made before we knew what we were doing. I suppose maybe a little bit too early. No, I can't even say the nuclear age because well, I guess not really the nuclear age either because like look before that what we zorro was around uh the scarlet pimpernel folk heroes were there and batman is a folk hero batman came out right after superman it was there it's just that you threw this guy out there and it was like it was almost like propaganda of look what man can be what well, is i mean you know the history though like it is interesting to me that uh superman was created in the 1930s by two jewish men like at a time right, when right. you know they so like i find that part fascinating in that like they looked around at the world around them which was horrible you know particularly to to them and went what if there sure. was a guy who couldn't be defeated so like i i'm sympathetic yeah. towards them but i just think there was a flaw in the design that's really difficult to reconcile now with where we're at with superheroes you know and i, I mean it's always an issue anyway it's like every justice league story ever doesn't know what to do with superman cuz he's too powerful and he can solve everything so they they have to like yeah. 
find a side quest for Superman or a giant robot for him to fight while like Batman does smart stuff. Yeah, yeah, he he always ends up being um the computer nerd because you know, well that that's also kind of funny because then Cyborg's been around for a while <laughs> right. and yeah. He kind of bridges that gap in between very powerful and also not even computer nerd. He is a computer. Yeah. There should be just like Superman and if he's busy, the rest of the Justice League goes and does a thing, you know, because like because, <laughs> you know, Wonder Woman kind of fills a lot. Of, and she also like, you know, has a lot of weird. She can fly, but she also has a jet, but it's invisible. I don't know. These like DC, some of their they're like, that's why I think Batman has persevered so long because they didn't give him a lot. They were just, ah, he's rich and he wears a suit and he's got stuff. <laughs> and it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I do. By the way, man, like I, I'm really glad that Nolan still kept it, but like, I do feel like the alter egos are really going out of fashion. And that kind of makes me sad where, cause you can see really, I, I'm, I'm super into them. Not to that, not being around anymore. Cause it was like, it is, it became such a plot device. Like it always was, but then it was just the plot device. I don't know, but it, to me, it's so central to like Spider-Man in particular. And it seems like they have no interest in, <laughs> You know, like because Spider-Man, it seems like his life being a superhero was awesome, but then it screws up his personal life, you know, which, you know, yeah, totally. And that was that's always been the appeal of Peter Parker. And I'm totally with you. So he got this new iteration. Um, not only did we not have to watch him get bit by that goddamn spider, <laughs> but also um, he got two movies and a big parts of those movies were him protecting his identity and then in the second one it just got blown up because why because there's going to be new things that happen instead of always he has to protect his identity you know i i think that was the i think that's what ushered in this new why we've been having this conversation for so long and we've had so many of these conversations that i enjoy is um uh the words i am iron man pretty much started the eraser moving over that and you know why because we don't need it right now maybe maybe that'll be back someday and then all the superheroes will have their secret identities again um but we just it, it was around for so long we're doing something different for a while and i'm really into that i think too it's it's not going it's not going to come back in fashion until they can figure out a way uh to let the heroes talk <laughs> With their masks on, that looks good. Which might be the most brilliant thing Favreau came up with was that camera of his face. You know, like that that angle that they used yeah. in every subsequent movie of just Tony Stark's face surrounded by computer graphics or whatever. <laughs> like that close up. Because, I I mean, I love the Raimi Spider-Man movies. But you can see in the first one that it's, it they don't know what to do. It's just two guys. It's very Power Rangers-y. In watching Green Goblin and Spider-Man talk, and they're just like emoting because yeah. their faces are frozen. And then by the second one, he just pops that baby off like every five minutes. Oh man, you couldn't. Oh man, <laughs> one of one of my favorite superhero movies, and it, it you can't keep that fucking thing on his head. <laughs> there, there's an entire subway car that sees his face, and then they uh -huh. just have to be like, uh, "We're we're cool." 
Well, no, everybody on this subway car is a good person, so you're good. Yeah, jo- yeah jo- Joey Coco Diaz is like, uh, we're going to protect him and his identity. When, like, he took the thing off because part of it got burnt or ripped or something, still intact, because they put it back on him. So, yeah, I don't know. Keep this. He kept it on in the comic. Yeah. Even when it was jacked up. But that's what I mean. I think, you know, Batman gets away with it because he his mouth is not covered by a costume. Right. So he yeah. it still works. It's all eye and mouth acting for <laughs> for Keaton and Bale. They can just. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's just I think they don't know what to do. You know, they they don't know how to make superheroes talk with masks on and honestly it's funny because it doesn't just apply to superheroes now we're in this world where a lot of shows are trying to incorporate their filming during covid and i like i like the show superstore i watch it every week but they're trying to mirror the real world and that they work in a superstore with masks but then they're they're constantly taking those things off so that they can converse with each other You know, because we're we work I mean, in a department store for minimum wage, so we're all gonna pop our masks off and have a conversation yeah, with each other. They, they don't like they don't have to say anything like uh it's okay, I've I've just been tested or like I we've all they, been isolating it here in this superstore together or something. No, you can just see them. it's gradually less and less of wearing the masks. Like they, they at first I think they were really adhering to it and then they just realized that you know, eh, whatever. They're just going to talk. Yeah. Just, yeah, they're just going to, I would say, just make your show without making them wear masks. Yeah. Or don't make your show. I don't know, man. I think it's tough for that show, though, because they've always sort of mirrored real world events and they're set in a, you know, always. big box store. So it's like, it should be talking about COVID. That makes sense to the world that. Mm-hmm. You know, how did that change the way people buy things, you know, and and it, it's given them a lot of narrative stuff about, you know, the idea of essential workers and stuff like that. But it's just they just don't know what to do uh, with the masks. <laughs> they can't can't quite figure it out. Well, you know, I'm of I'm of the opinion that um, I don't want to forget the lessons we've learned through this. Uh who knows when it will end? It almost it almost seems like maybe we're at the beginning of the end of this. I but but who knows? But uh I'm of the mind of you don't need to make fictional shit about this. You know, like we need to learn lessons from it for sure, but it doesn't have to I don't want two years from now a movie to be coming out that takes place during the pandemic, and that's a major plot point or even a small plot point. You can just forget that happened. Yeah. This is, you're doing you're doing fiction that should that should take us out of the real world. We don't need to relive this for fuck's sakes. But oh Lars, we we won't learn anything from this. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. It's going to be the opposite. We won't learn from any of these mistakes and also they're just going to be cranking these bad boys out in oh, no I, time. I think we're 3 to 4 years away from a covid movie winning an academy award. I'm just throwing that Jesus. out there. Jesus. It'll just be the it'll be like a Nicholas Sparks love in the time of covid or something. <sighs> yeah, it's no, it's a bummer. Hey, but look, we're almost out of time. We talked about it a lot. Uh, we've been talking about comic book movies as a change this week, but I, I feel like I should check in with you before we run out of time. What did you think of that WandaVision finale? 
<clears throat> Pardon me. Um, I, you know, I, I really, I really, really liked it. I had the same feeling. I granted it was, um, um, when the Mandalorian came out, it was a lot more magnified because I don't, I, I don't know. Listeners, if you don't know my relationship with Star Wars, I encourage you to go back and listen to any episode of this show and there's a little more insight, probably. If you if you pick um, three random episodes, just go to a random part. We'll be talking about Star Wars or this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it was, I very much got the feeling of, uh, oh my God, this, this thing I love, this Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, they made a TV show about it, and it's a real TV show that is really good about the thing that I already really, really liked. And um, I could like it was, it was it was great. I have no notes, so I'm sure they're relieved to hear that. Yeah, they were asking. Um, it, of course, like, if I'm a pedantic pedantic nerd, I have lots of notes. But overall, I have no notes. It was just really great and fun and awesome. Nice. No, I, I really enjoyed it quite a bit, too. I, I found myself wishing, because I loved the show so much and because it uh, was sort of unexpected, I kind of wished the finale was a little less like all the other ends of all the Marvel movies. Like, it for such a creative show, it kind of felt like they reverted to formula for the last episode. And I, I think it mm-hmm. worked because, I mean, that's the thing. It, it works. They, they're good at this. So yeah. it wasn't bad but i i found myself wishing i don't know that they did something more what if they went into a new tv show or what if they went into a bunch of tv shows what if wanda figured out that because she controls this world all of a sudden we're just going in and out of tv shows and genres or something like you know just more of an ending that wasn't two sorcerers flying around shooting beams at each other you know because i that they've done that and they're good at that and the beams look real good. And Catherine Hahn and Elizabeth Olsen shooting beams at each other is going to be entertaining. But I just, I don't know. I felt like they could have done more TV. I think you have something there. And I can't, <clears throat> I don't, I don't know if they had something else planned. But what I do know uh, for this particular episode, but I, I do know that um, there was supposed to be a lot of things that happened before this show happened. And, you know, um, the pandemic pandemic kind of jacked that up. So there was supposed to be two other movies and two other television series that came out before WandaVision. And those had to, those got set back in production, had to be postponed, but they were able to get WandaVision done. So WandaVision ended up being this, um, this stepping stone into the next part of the MCU that they needed it to be. Yeah. And I think I don't know the events, you know, the minutia surrounding the decisions they made or what had to be changed with this series. But I can say that if if you had to if you just had to get this out, um, if you had to get this out quickly, but you still wanted it to be awesome. I think whoever worked on this went above and beyond because it was really good. Oh, yeah. No, it was great. I I love that this ended up being the first show. And I I mean, those are my complaints and they're small relative to how much I really enjoy the show overall. And I'll oh, yeah. also yeah. immediately undercut myself by saying I really loved that she got to say goodbye to Vision and also everything else like didn't even need to be good because I enjoyed the ship of theses 
robot logic conversation so much uh-huh. that so much it, it made my day when they stopped fighting and had a logic off i that was it for me i was like like no here we go yeah. here we go i saw as soon as they stopped, i was right there with you they stopped fighting i'm like oh i i know what this is going to be <laughs> oh my god i started pushing my glasses up there was tape on them for some reasons uh some guy came in just started hitting me it was great oh man so good and he um and paul bettany everyone's having so much fun with this i love it like there are, there are so many people who still i mean like we we talked about it who still look down maybe on the genre for not for not being quote unquote cinema or whatever and actors that don't want to be involved with it or actors that will get involved with it because their grandkids love it or whatever but you love to see them just have fun with it when when Paul Bettany said there's a big surprise um coming up in in WandaVision I get to work with an actor that I've been dying to work with my whole career and it turned out to be himself. <laughs> that has to, I mean, yeah, let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. You don't have to take it seriously. You just have to like do your job. I did. One of the coolest things that I did find out too, uh, there was an interview someone did. I think it was the New York times, uh, but it was a, someone tracked down the showrunner and was asking her stuff about the show. And what I loved is they were asking about Catherine Hahn. And apparently the story goes like this of how Catherine Hahn ended up, uh, playing Agatha in this show, which is she showed up at the studio for a general meeting about uh, Marvel. And the, mm-hmm. this show found out she was in the building and basically found her in the hallway and pitched the show to her. <laughs> and we're like, like they just That's got there. Great. They were like, Han's in the building. She might do a Marvel she's doing ours. And they just sold her on it. And I, I love that. Cause that's exactly what I would do if I was making anything and Catherine Han showed up in the building, I would immediately stop what I was doing and try to get her to be involved. That's the right move. That's great. Yeah, totally. They, after, um, uh, I heard a similar story where after, um, infinity war, Paul Bettany gets a call. He's got to have a meeting at Marvel and he thinks, you know, this is them telling me, Thank you very much for all your hard work. We're not, we won't need you anymore. And then they pitch him this show. And then as the story of this show progresses, it turns out that not only has he got to play this part um, more completely, but then he's suddenly resurrected. Yeah. So yeah, it was like, do you want to keep doing this? And he was totally on board. It's 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 really good stuff man. and i bethany is is such a fascinating journey of starting by being the voice in iron man like he's right. been in all the movies he was there from the start too like i don't think he we remember that because he wasn't on screen but like he his dna was you know also part of the original <laughs> like film uh but yeah i i just love i mean i love the idea for this i love that it really became such an original thing but it's also just yeah the fact that these i think we talked about this before but these two characters that didn't get the time that they needed devoted to the relationship and if it was a goodbye to paul bettany i think it would have been a good one in terms of like just finding the room to you know let uh wanda grieve and to just you know say goodbye to a character that it got like overlooked just because of how much other stuff was happening (laughs) in the movies that there wasn't time to properly focus on him because he died in the middle of the war. 
like there there wasn't you know there wasn't the breathing room to grieve that loss and uh to make a whole show about it i think is uh really cool and i think they did a really good job about it and yeah it was great great fun they took their time they let it breathe it was fantastic yeah it was real good now we'll see how falcon and the winter soldier does we will do you think that i'm it might be great i'm not gonna judge the show without seeing it but do you think the falcon if i was the showrunner for falcon and the winter soldier i feel like it'd be like wait we have to can we maybe wait can you do loki and then us like can we just like do we have to go after that I would I would have said that Sebastian Stan has to keep his long hair. That still drives me crazy. Yeah, that he doesn't do it when he's trying to hide out, but here we are now. I guess you're you're different Bucky now. I don't know. Make him keep his hair. Yeah. Yeah, they made Jon Snow keep his hair. So come on. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. So so remember Okay. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> we talked for an hour. Adios. So remember, question everything. Exotica. Enter the world of exotica. Be a dice.
Hobo Radio is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on iTunes. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. We have to ask. It's a podcast where we answer the question, are you going to eat that? What will you leave behind? Why get out of bed? Will you be our neighbor? I'm Marty. And I'm Jonathan. We're two hosts. Infinite Universes. We We have have to ask. ask. New interviews every Tuesday. Find us on iTunes or online at wehavetoask.com or with the other great podcasts on the Peak Sloth Network at peaksloth.com. Peak Sloth.